Hello and welcome to In Line With Nature, the podcast that explains an approach to building that puts the future of our planet first, with me, Hannah McInnes. In this series, I talk to experts about modern day construction, its impact on the natural world and why the time for change is now. I'll be talking to a series of guests about new approaches to design, reimagining a built environment at one rather than at odds with nature. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Hausler. I'm the founder and CEO of Build Change, and I work on disaster resilient housing. Could you tell us, um, we're, we're going to explore over the next half hour, really what Build Change is all about, but perhaps you could just tell us in brief what, what it is and, and why you started it. Yes, Build Change is a social innovator that saves lives in earthquakes and hurricanes by working with people and governments to design and build and regulate and finance houses so that they don't collapse in earthquakes, in typhoons, hurricanes, uh, other types of windstorms, as well as um, they're, uh, so that they're not affected by fire. Um, we, know, we know the way in which buildings are designed in the modern day are, are significantly contributing to um, climate change and to environmental damage. But and so we're you know this is what this podcast is predicated on is working out what the problem is and what we can do about it. But when buildings are being built in the sense that you're doing that with emergency and urgency and presumably very small budgets is there time to take the environmental concerns into consideration yes there is time and there should be time build change works on um, permanent housing so long-term solutions we work both after disasters to rebuild, like you mentioned, as well as before disasters to prevent buildings from being lost. And we urge our partners and clients to look at long-term solutions. Don't just do something temporary that's going to consume tents and tarps and other resources that are disposable. Work with folks to strengthen a damaged building so that's a long-term solution or rebuild a new permanent home so that that home will not be damaged in the next disaster. Perhaps you could explain the sorts of design ideas and principles that Build Change is based around. How much is it based around environmentally friendly uh, and sustainable building? And, and, and if so, why that's so important in this particular case as across the world? Yes, environmental sustainability and lowering carbon footprint is one of the criteria that we design around. So we have a holistic model that looks at everything from disaster resilience as the number one priority. Will that structure withstand the next disaster to our building materials available and affordable on the local market, which helps to limit uh, transportation-related emissions, to is the building affordable? Is it culturally and uh, is it appropriate to the local culture and the climate, especially looking at building materials and systems that are more friendly to environments that are hot, that are cold, that may have air conditioning, that may not have air conditioning, 
to uh, is the building appropriate for that client, that homeowner, that individual? Does it meet their needs on a daily basis? Does it have a toilet that functions, a roof that doesn't leak? Those sorts of day-to-day um, elements of the building, which are important for the homeowner. In addition, we look at um, the home as a financial asset, and this is one of the reasons why we believe in long-term solutions in buildings that are durable, which are not going to collapse in the next disaster, so that that family can rely on that home as a financial asset and a source of wealth. And I know that, as you said, build change is so much about building up local skills, um, stimulating local demand. And in that, you presumably solve so many problems at once because jobs, the economy, but also sustainable buildings that are not least chosen by and designed by or with the ideas in mind of the people who live in them and around them and will do for many years. Well said. Yes, that's exactly what we do. The homeowner, the client is our our number one um, client. We use human-centered design. We believe in the power of individuals to make decisions about their home. We believe that in in, in our environments, in markets in Asia, Latin America, Caribbean, um, when we when the power is in the hands of the homeowner, they make wise decisions about uh, their family's future. We especially uh, work with um, more women, generally women head of households than men. Um, in the Philippines, we have a fantastic partnership with several microfinance institutions in which many of their clients are women and they are taking action to make their house more resilient to the next disaster, as well as, uh, as I mentioned before, improve, make improvements that Im- Im- improve their daily lives, like fixing leaky roofs and that sort of thing. So we are centering the homeowner in the process and it- enabling them to make decisions uh, that protect their family's future and their asset. We are adding information on how to make those buildings climate resilient um, so that those homeowners can make the best informed choices. Tell us a little bit about those that information, how to make buildings climate resilient. We've touched on it a bit with how you react to the heat and the cold, but we'd love to know more about climate resilient housing, what that is for people who don't quite understand how it operates. Yes, for us, climate resilient housing is a it is housing that withstands um, the ever increasing effects of climate in the forms of extreme weather and fire. Um, so we work in many parts of the world which have uh, hurricanes or typhoons or cyclones, whichever <laughs> location uh, those homes are based. So we're working with folks to make climate uh, hurricane or typhoon resilient housing. And very simple things can be done. We find in some places um, the homeowners have not tied the roof to the walls. So very simple interventions can be done um, using locally available as well as um, uh, uniquely designed uh, ties and other resources Um, There are local solutions that can be implemented to tie those roofs down to the walls so that they don't blow off in a hurricane. We also know um, that 
There are small things that can be done, such as having uh, storm shutters or having um, the ability to close doors and windows so that that wind does not get inside the house. Um, so there are small things that can be done to make buildings uh, more wind resilient. You've said in a comment that climate resilient housing must be accessible to everyone, but that's only possible through big change, through governments, through policymakers. Um I think you said that before the Conference of the Parties this year um, as a critical moment. Do you think that the seriousness of this and how important climate resilient housing is going forward has been given enough attention? And Do you feel optimistic that um, things are being done about it on a policy level? I do feel optimistic to start with that. Um, but there is more that can be done. Um we can go house by house. We can go one by one to each individual homeowner and discuss with them what needs to be done to make their house more climate resilient. But we are not going to make change at scale unless we can change policy. And that's what we need. We need change at scale. There are millions of homeowners around the world that are living in not only climate vulnerable housing, but earthquake vulnerable housing as well. And there are small changes that can be made to those houses to make them more disaster resilient. But getting this done at the policy level is essential because build change mostly works with folks who are at the um, at lower income levels or at the bottom um, third of the economic pyramid. They're generally homeowners. They have rights to the land, but they may not have the wealth or the access to hire an engineer or to procure the building materials. So these policy changes that enable this combination of subsidy plus technical assistance are absolutely absolutely essential uh, for change to happen at scale. And these things are already happening. The Colombian government has a national level uh, program that subsidizes home improvement, which is really outstanding. It includes not only day-to-day improvements to the homes, better kitchens and toilets, but also structural improvements, primarily to withstand earthquakes, um, but that can be useful for other hazards as well. And we've seen that take off at scale, and it's been a combination of political will, the will from the very highest levels in the Colombian government to get this done, as well as the technical platforms essential to connect Um, and expedite the processes, the registration, the evaluations, the completion of construction, as well as the the will of the people on the ground who um, have shown an interest in making these improvements to their homes. So I am optimistic that change can happen at scale. There is a lot more that we need to do. Build Change is uh, leading the Climate Resilient Housing Initiative of the race to resilience and gathering partners now, um, government partners, uh, corporations, funders, um, other experts in the field, as well as the homeowners themselves, to create a movement behind climate resilient housing. Because I have to say, a lot of the climate discussion is uh, centering around energy efficiency, as it should. Um, but we are working to expand this dialogue to include making homes resilient to hurricanes and earthquakes. Obviously, earthquakes not caused by climate, but still a devastating disaster, as well as fires uh, and other hazards. And when you say working with governments and policymakers, I mean, you work all over the world. So is that um, specific to each place or is there 
um, some sort of worldwide practices being put in place when it comes to climate resilient housing? Yeah, it's a bit of both, actually. Um, there, we use the same model everywhere, um, which is based on overcoming three main barriers to adoption of resilient housing, people and policy, money and technology. So as we've already discussed, working with policymakers to change policy, working on the ground directly with homeowners so that they are, are, are driving change and leading change. Money is uh, facilitating access to financing, whether that's a government subsidy or a microfinance loan. And technology underpins it all. The technology for assessment, for design, for construction, as well as the information technology design, uh, designed to bring everyone together to um, link homeowners with subsidy programs and to be able to report on these things. So our model is the same no matter where we work. We are overcoming simultaneously these three barriers to adoption, people and policy, money and technology, how we do it in each location and the relationships that need to be developed in order for it to succeed vary. The languages vary. Sometimes the building materials vary. Sometimes the structural systems vary. Um, and the, and like I said, the relationships that need to be developed in order for these programs to scale uh, are, are different. But the model is the same. We last year released the Build Change Guide to Resilient Housing, which you can find on our website, um, it, it, which... It basically is a, is, a, is a manual for practitioners, for governments that takes one through the process that we've used um, in order to implement and scale resilient housing programs around the world. It also captures our heat, our resilient housing ecosystem assessment tool, which enables a government uh, user to chart their path towards resilient housing, to evaluate where they are today in terms of the policy environment, the financial subsidy environment, the technical platforms, and, and chart their path. It illustrates um, next steps that uh, a government or a city leader could take in order to proceed along this path of disaster resilient housing for everyone. So it's a couple of very useful resources, the Build Change Guide to Resilient Housing, and within that RHEAT, which is the Resilient Housing Ecosystem Assessment Tool. I'm happy to share those links and um, uh, share those with um, your listeners. That's really kind. I've been looking at those and they are, as you say, on your website, which um, we'll say now, but we'll also put, you know, buildchange.org. Um, but we'll certainly link to that as well with the podcast. And I wonder if you could tell us just some, you know, we've talked quite generally, but I wonder if you could tell us about some of the specific programs that you're working with, which can really help people to kind of conceptualize and understand what climate adaption means in practice in the built environment. So, I mean, for example, could we bring up something you're working on now, I know, in Honduras? Honduras is, this is such an exciting for, program for us. Um, Honduras is a new country for uh, build change as a whole, but our VP of programs is from Honduras. So it's something he's been looking forward to for the 10 years he's been working with us. So Honduras has um, repeated flood, repeated flood hazard, um, hurricanes, and we have been working with homeowners in the Sula Valley who are regularly affected by flooding, um, who are hit by hurricanes uh, Eta and Iota a couple of years ago now, to add second stories to their buildings to make them more climate resilient. Floods happen regularly. Second stories are commonly used 
as a way of temporarily um, sheltering from floods. And But not everyone has the access to add a second story to their building. So we're strengthening those ground floors so that they're structurally sufficient to add a second story and working with homeowners to add that second story. It is a beautiful program because it leverages what local homeowners already know about climate resilience. So we're basically just picking up what's already common, adding a second story and enabling those homeowners who have a single story building um, to access the financing and the technical knowledge they need uh, to make this change and expansion for their home. Can I ask a question? You've done so much and far more than I assume, not to assume anything upon our listeners who are all clearly very active, brilliant people. But I just wonder if you had any thoughts or advice that you would want to share with people who want to help and do their part. Often um, we hear these conversations but feel a little bit helpless that we have any agency for change in this field. Do you have any um, anything you'd like you want to sort of tell people advice-wise that they could go away and do having listened to you? Yeah, there's a, there, there's a couple of things here. So one is to support a retrofit of a house. So uh, financial donations to support retrofits. We ha- have been doing, uh, we are in the early stages of looking at the carbon, uh, the CO2 emission savings by retrofitting existing buildings. So if we retrofit an existing building, our preliminary estimates are that we can save one ton of CO2 emissions per square meter of building, which is pretty significant. And so we have been advocating for folks to support more retrofits of existing buildings. Um, if a disaster happens and these buildings are, are lost, that's a huge loss of carbon emissions. And so saving these buildings will reduce the carbon footprint of building, of having to build new uh, building. So we encourage your listeners to support these kind of retrofits. I I want to I, I also want to encourage folks to keep an open mind about this trade-off that has to happen in the built environment. The built environment, whatever building material is chosen, there is a carbon footprint to that, whether that's timber, whether that's a cement-based building technology. Any any building material is 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 going to have a carbon footprint. So I want to encourage folks to keep an open mind about balancing all of these objectives. We can't just look at at environmental sustainability as our as the sole criteria for determining how to build a house, because if we do that, we may not create a home that is disaster resilient. Um, so I want to encourage your listeners to just keep an open mind about all of these criteria that have to be satisfied in order for people to be safe and for them to be satisfied and safe in their home, as well as for the process itself um, to be sustainable. And then I'd also encourage your listeners who are in disaster zones um, to understand their, their risk and their hazard. Are they in a hurricane 
a, a hurricane prone zone? And if they are, do they have the roof um, tied down? And or are they in a, a flood zone? Or are they in a fire zone in the United States? Here, I live in Colorado. Um, we had a devastating fire um, just before the end of the year that caused the loss of a thousand houses just in the in the you know two counties away from where I live. And in that case, um, there were some people whose insurance was not adequate enough to cover their cost. So depending on where you are, if you are in an, a market that is hazard prone and you have the possibility of, of using insurance to cover your losses, check your policy to make sure that it covers you completely. In our markets um, where build change works, generally insurance is not available for properties. So we are working with folks to strengthen their building. That's the best defense against the disaster. But in other markets, like here where I live in Colorado um, and other parts of the U.S., insurance is a very, very critical tool um, for enabling folks to um, make sure they're protected in the next disaster. Thank you so much for that. And just before I let you go, we haven't talked um, much about specific materials, which are sort of central to this. And I wondered, of course, it's difficult to generalise, isn't it, with all of these issues, because everything is so different depending on the scenario, the place in the world. But in all your travelling and all, all, all that you've done, I wonder what you'd learnt about and what you can tell us about the best materials that we should be moving to and away from in terms of sustainability uh, and environmentally friendly materials? Yeah, that's a great question. And I have to say, I don't have a, a best or worst because it's context specific, as you, as you mentioned. And, 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 and build change follows the lead of the local homeowners. And so we will work with them to build better out of what materials and technologies are culturally appropriate and locally available. So in some contexts, that means we are using cement-based building materials and cement is cement production is one of the largest sources of CO2 emissions in terms of combustion. But this is what people build with. This is what they have available. This is what's accessible. It has these building materials are, can be very resilient to fire. So they do have certain um, disaster resilient elements that are positive, but we're looking at it at, at, from the perspective of how can we efficiently build with these building materials? How can we invest a little bit more to retrofit a vulnerable building so that it's not completely lost so that the, you know, the cost of the CO2 emissions and the production of cement is not wasted. These buildings are sustained and maintained so they're not devastated in the future. We only have a few markets uh, in which uh, people are, are, are preferring timber-based construction methods. And that is largely because in many of our markets, timber is simply not available. It's too expensive. It's not considered culturally appropriate. It's too um, fire uh, prone. It's too easy for those buildings to burn down. So that is, so timber-based construction methods are not common in build changes markets. Um, And for various reasons, as I mentioned previously, I, so I can't say that one building material is better or best than another. It depends on the local context. And we are, as I mentioned before, working to make 
every system disaster resilient within that context. So if we are working with the timber building in a hurricane prone area, we are implementing measures to make that building uh, more disaster resilient. Um, I will also say that I have seen some earth-based building uh, materials used in India in my experience after the um, Gujarat earthquake. And when I first looked at this, I thought, well, yeah, that's great. Those That is a much more environmentally friendly, um, lower carbon footprint building material than say the cement-based solutions. However, when I talked to the homeowners, that is not the type of building that they wanted to live in. Also, there were issues with making these buildings earthquake resistant. There are also issues with the viability of the technology in the local market. Could a local contractor actually make money building with this building material? So it's a complicated, complex question to, you know, to derive what is the best building material or system. We have created a, um, you know, a way of evaluating or a set of criteria that you can find in our Build Change Guide to Resilient Housing that spans all of these things. Um, but it's a complex question that has to consider affordability, cultural appropriateness, as well as environmental sustainability. It's a trade-off. So in all these things, it's just so much about considering the circumstance, the people, mm-hmm. the area, the climate. That's the most important thing, just making construction and design incredibly contextual. Yes, contextual, very contextual, and very much putting the homeowners at the center and enabling them to make the decisions. It's very much a listening exercise. We've been talking about listening in all sorts of contexts lately. So Build Change has a, has, a, has a model which involves learning first, listening to the homeowners, talking to the homeowners, talking especially um, to the women head of households about their needs. Housing is, is definitely a women's issue from our perspective. So it's about looking and listening and being curious and understanding that local context. But yet at the same time, applying the set of criteria about affordability, local sustainability, those sorts of things. Um, so, but I think that's the best way we can succeed in our goals of enabling everyone to live in a disaster resilient home. It's so fascinating talking to you, particularly interesting to hear how, how, of course, important women are to the process as well. But I'm going to have to leave it there because we've we've gone up to our time. But as we said, people can go on to um, the build change website and they can read a lot more there about what you're doing and take away from that a lot more of what we can all do but thank you so much indeed for joining us on the podcast my pleasure hannah great to be here you've been listening to in line with nature brought to you by the closters forum hosted by me hannah mckinnis produced by claire heaton and supported by the wonderful team at the closters forum We'd love to hear your thoughts, suggestions, or any questions you might have about the episode. Just send your email to podcast at theclostersforum.com and make sure to tune in for our next instalment.